This is the Think LA podcast from Los Angeles, the center of advertising, marketing, and media. Thank you for joining us for this episode. A quick note, if you're a member of Think LA, thank you so much for your membership and for renewing this year. We know it's been very difficult and every dollar counts. You're helping support our mission to the community and to your business. And if you're not a member of Think LA yet, please go to thinkla.org, click on membership, and see why it's helpful not just to your business, but for our community at large. In this episode, we continue to support the diversity in our community and celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month by proudly presenting Insights into the Big Shift with Dr. Jake Beneflaw. In this discussion, Dr. Beneflaw dove into his new book, The Big Shift, and shed light on the advancements of marketing to Latinos. He took a critical look at the past, present, and future of marketing to a diverse marketplace and advanced a strategic framework where marketers can take their business to new heights in the 21st century. We're so grateful to Dr. Beneflaw for his insight and expertise and we're also very grateful to our moderator, Roberto Orsi from Orsi Consulting and a legend in our Los Angeles advertising community. We hope you enjoy this episode. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month webinar. I'm Jasmine Mendoza, Thinkley's associate web producer, and we're so glad you guys can join us today. Before we start, I would really like to thank HCODE for presenting this webinar. HCODE helps bring brands and connects us to the U.S. Hispanic audience, so thanks HCODE. Now, without further ado, please welcome Matt Weisenbacher, the CRO at HCODE, to kick off today's program. Thanks, Jasmine. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here and welcome to to Think LA's insights into the big shift with Dr. Jake Benflaw and in celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month. My name is Matt Weisbecker. I'm the CRO of HCODE, and I'm both proud and excited to have HCODE be the sponsor of today's discussion. I've been in Los Angeles for 20 years, and like many of you, touched the movie business. And for me, it was in the movie transaction data that I first saw the power of multicultural audiences. Representing more than 40% of transactions, the data was really clear to me. And that's why I'm so excited for today's discussion. Dr. Beneflaw is focused on the very topic that HCODE was founded on five years ago to help address and solve which is to help marketers and brands understand, reach, and engage with the growing multicultural population and what many are now calling the new majority. At HCODE, we've built up the largest digital media platform reaching Hispanics in the US with exclusive publisher relationships and scale across display, mobile, video, OTT, and CTV. We've added a full studio developing some of the best authentic branded content and influencer marketing in the space. And now the HCODE Intelligence Center, which taps into the largest digital panel of U.S. Hispanics. A great example of the HCODE Intelligence Center is is what we call uh, the HCODE Political Dashboard. And I encourage all of you to check it out after today's chat by visiting hcodemedia.com and clicking on Insights at the top of the page. There you'll find the, the, the great insights into Hispanics and both what Democrats and Republicans are thinking and regarding the election. When you think about the average age of American Hispanic population being 11 years old, 
and compare that to 58 for white Americans, you can start to understand why we might, might be time to ask the question, are we ready for a big shift? More importantly for all of us marketers on this call, is corporate America ready for a multicultural America? I can't wait to dive into these questions and much more, and so it gives me and HCODE great pleasure to introduce Robert Orsi, an experienced marketing and advertising leader from Orsi Consulting, speaking with Dr. Jake Benniflaw, the founder and executive director of the Center for Multicultural Science and the author of The Big Shift. I'll be back to host the Q&A after their chat, but without further ado, gentlemen, take it away. Thank you, Matt. Uh, welcome, Jake. Dr. Jake, it's good to be with you again. How you doing, Roberto? Good to see you. Excellent, excellent. You know, Matt mentioned how the, muse, the movie business impacted him back in the day, and yeah. I have three screenwriter children, so the conversations about movies comes up quite often. And one of the big questions is, how is culture, the new American culture, reflected in what you write? So that's a typical conversation. The other question that comes up all the time, which applies to you, Jake, is what is it that you're writing? What is it about? So we have these, these conversations, you start off with a thumbnail. Tell us, what is the big shift about? So, you know, the, the, I wrote the book um, in my head about two years ago and I just decided that I had to put it on paper and then the pandemic hit and I had a lot more free time on my hands and I just, pretty much wrote a good 50% of it in the last six months. But the big shift really is something that, you know, shouldn't surprise any marketer that's been in, in this business for, you know, decades. We know the demographic uh, landscape is changing and it's changed, um, you know, marketing in my view. The problem that I've seen is that, you know, corporate America is not ready for a multicultural America. And so a lot, you know, so the thesis of this book is, Given the changing dem demographics, given the changing landscape, marketing has to redefine, has to redefine itself. Marketers have to step up and adjust their marketing to a multicultural America. That essentially is, is the, the high level thumbnail of the book. Specifically, I'm saying two things. One, we have to you know, right size the cultural silo, and we can talk about that. And we also need to elevate and integrate the multicultural consumer into the new mainstream, right? So as you're talking, you know, you're talking about movies and culture and what role culture plays, you know, culture is multicultural, you know? So we get, we get into a very esoteric, you know, sort of discussion on what is culture, culture in a multicultural America, but it's very diverse. It has to be representative. Inclusivity is important. Um, empathy is important. Respect is important. And so we all need to have a seat around the table to really reflect what America is and will continue to be. So who, is, who should be reading this book? Because there's two distinct audiences. One is multicultural marketers like you and like me. And there's also uh, members of the ANA, companies who advertise, executives who have, may have some exposure or not to multicultural. Yeah, so I, it, clearly in the book, I state that the book is is written and is written for the marketing um, professional. So to me, that is the organization. It is the company. It is it is the uh, the brand marketers of the United States. Folks like you and I that have been in the business for decades, you know, uh, will read this and kind of say, okay, 
Yep, we, we, we agree. Um, there's nothing really controversial about the book other than, look, it's time to do it now. Um, we're, I believe we're sort of in a crisis. Uh, you know, we're, in, we're going through an inflection point, if you will. It's not a crisis per se, but it's an inflection point. Sooner than later, your business will decline or flatten. It won't grow. You will see the effects of a changing demographics um, if you don't adjust to the, to the exteriors. Uh, companies that do um, will improve and will succeed in a multicultural America. So to, to me, uh, Roberto, the, the notion here is that this new mainstream is not white. The majority of the top 10 cities, and you can look at Los Angeles and New York, Chicago, all of these cities are above and beyond. They're above 60% multicultural. Miami's 90% multicultural, right? So there is no way that we can continue to do marketing like we did back in the 90s. We now have linear TV, we have social digital, we have search, we have a lot, of, we have a lot more media um, to choose from. And there's a lot of different consumers out there, a lot younger consumers to Matt's point earlier. So marketing has to sort of move with the times. So you mentioned we have a lot of digital, we have smart TV, all that. Mm -hmm. One of the big things is having the right data in order to be able to understand where the opportunity is. Uh, if you can't measure it, you can't do it. Mm -hmm. Do we have enough data sources today to support multicultural marketing? And if not, what should a marketer do? I think we have enough data. The question is, do we have the right data? And one of the points that we have that I'm making in the book is that we have to disaggregate the aggregate. And so looking at sales or looking at even population numbers in aggregate or as a whole, you know, it's too simplistic. It doesn't, it's not, the insights, um, you know, the insights are hidden in the aggregate. You've got to break things apart to see, um, you know, what percentage of unemployment is driven by black and brown. So it's like, you know, before the pandemic, we were touting that the U.S. had the lowest unemployment rate in 50 years. But one of the things that we did in the book was, okay, what happens when we disaggregate the unemployment rate and we look at things by ethnicity and race and we realize that the African-American unemployment rate in this country is two to three times higher than the average. Latinos, are, are, you know, they fare second worst to African-Americans. And in fact, Asians are actually doing better than you know, mainstream America. So if we are going to, if we really believe that the mainstream is multicultural, we have to measure it accordingly. And so I just used an unemployment, you know, we, this is economics, but when we talk about marketing, it's no different. We need to make sure that one, sales data is accurately and accurately represented by ethnicity and race. We have to make the right attribution models, right? to make sure that we're spending the right money in the right amounts in the right places to reach this multicultural, you know, consumer. And so, you know, big data is here. Data science will help us make sense of it, but we have to have the right data. And one of the big key points in the book is that we need to look at the data by ethnicity and race. The so, other point. I'm sorry, I want to ask you a question. The elephant in the room, yeah. you mentioned unemployment. Hmm. So what do you say to a marketer who says, well, yeah, Jake, I hear you. Uh, levels of unemployment with African-American Hispanics are, you know, are higher. So maybe that's not an audience for me. What do I do? 
right can can your can your target audiences afford my products yeah it's really interesting how some of these arguments um that i heard you know back in the day you know a good 20 years ago or 25 years ago continue to creep up it's almost like you know time warp we've gotten older yet the arguments don't and they keep you know um you know they they keep getting repeated so here's here here are the facts right so if you look at the top three cities let's just look at a lot at los angeles los angeles overwhelmingly is multicultural 70 percent, 72 73 percent multicultural um a good five to six percent of gdp is driven by los angeles okay so don't tell me and so the so the and here's the other thing roberto the, the majority of the population is multicultural but the majority of the core customers of, of corporate america are multicultural there's just no way that you can have sheer numbers and say look the majority is multicultural and they're not your core consumer the numbers don't add up so to me this is an argument this is a fear that you know you, your mental model is outdated and you're still worried about you know doing something different you know above and beyond your um safety zone so to me, there are differences between what leaders do and what laggards and what followers do, right? The category leaders are the ones that have you know, sort of moved with the times. They, they are able to adapt a lot better and they follow, what, they follow the customer, they follow the money. And so those that are followers that are, you know, three, four and five in the category, the, the ones that are, you know, lagging, they're the ones that have, you know, outdated notions, they have problems measuring, they have mental models that are not necessarily aligned with a changing multicultural uh, America. And so that the reason for the book is that we want to make sure that we have everybody on the same playing field. It's just not right that today we're talking about things that you and I have been preaching 20 years ago. And frankly, I got old, I'm getting older, I'm getting more tired uh, saying the same thing, and I'm not seeing enough progress. Right? So I'm not worried about the category leaders, I'm more concerned about the followers and the laggards and, and the demography and everything in, the, in this marketplace is changing. So I, I, the chief brand officer, Parker Gamble, agrees with you. Last October, he said, if you're not doing multicultural marketing, you're not doing marketing. So the laggards you mentioned, what are the obstacles for them? What's holding them back? Uh, you know, it, 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 again, it's, it's hard to sort of generalize, but the, the, the research that I'm doing is, is kind of interesting. There's a, there's a couple of um, nuances. Even the large companies that are like ranked one or two, they have a portfolio of brands. And some of these companies have, um, you know, two or three brands that are driving a billion dollars a year in sales. And then there are these other brands that are sort of secondary. And, and they're not really doing what those billion dollar brands are doing. It's almost like, you know, and they're building case studies for those brands. It's really interesting how even within a leading organization, not every brand is treated um, like a cash cow, so to speak, right? So fundamentally, what I think um, needs to happen is the, there has to be a commitment from the very top across all brands. It, it's like, this, this is the way that it's going to be, not just for the three or four brands that are, you know, leading, but it's every brand. And then you've got to level out the playing field internally. What I was talking about, what I've been talking about, and particularly in yesterday's conversation in a different place, that the, you know, ROI is really tied to insights. 
So you've got to have insights across the consumer, the brand, the product, uh, media, across every retail shopper, you know, across every aspect of, of, this, of this business. And the companies that don't obviously um, are not positioned for success. The companies that do, Procter & Gamble, Clorox, some of these companies, they've got a very tight toolbox. It's really small. They know exactly what they're doing. Um, they obviously are nimble and they can adjust to, to the you know, pandemic and whatnot and some of these things that they're, unex that they're um, not expecting. But, but they're, they're princip the principles of marketing don't change, right? It's the way you practice marketing that has to change. And these companies are more flexible. They're able to roll with the punches and they're also not afraid to sort of change with the times. Um, one of the things that I talk about in the book is core competencies lead to core rigidities. So these companies that are spending a lot of time developing core competencies, they fall back. They don't adapt fast enough. And these core competencies that are supposed to give them a competitive advantage become liabilities. They become inhibitors to innovation. And so what we need to do is go in there, help the, the people, the organization. It's really more about organizational transformation at the end of the day than it is to teach them about the, the demographic changes. Because everyone has that information. It's what you do with it that makes a difference. So do you think that the, what's going on today in, in our society helping or hurting? Is Black Lives Matter, is that hurting organizations move in the right direction or is it is it providing an obstacle? The same thing with the ANA, who's been very vocal with the hashtag see all, which right. is trying to get everybody to think about the market more broadly, not just in the traditional white general market. So what impact does something like that have? So you're asking me two questions. With regards to the ANA, you know, I, I think it does start with seeing uh, and, and looking, you know, having a different sort of uh, set of eyes. I don't know that that in itself is going to sort of uh, change corporate America. So I think if we're going to have initiatives, hashtag something, it has to be built around action. Um, like the NBA, I watched a lot of NBA this year. Um, the players were really upset, rightfully so. And hashtag, you know, vote. You know, it really was about voting. Um, you know, voting is great. Is it going to solve police brutality? Not exactly. Again, we've got to be very, very specific in terms of what we're solving. Um, and voting, I think, is is a nice outlet, um, but it's not going to solve the problems that the players were complaining about. Um, what was the the initial the, the first question? Black Lives Matter. Does that hurt or help? Does that give? Yeah. Us so the rally or does that give them a something to hide you know it, i, I, I <clears throat> excuse me i think in the long term i think it's going to help because it, it increases the, the the diversity within organizations and the biggest obstacle is hiring people with diverse uh, backgrounds diverse experiences lived experiences and so i think when you know when we've seen um a, a, a rise or an increase of folks that have been traditionally underrepresented or companies that are now creating chief diversity officers. I think all of those things are really good and positive. Um, and so that is a, fant a fantastic thing. 
my worry is that this is a short-lived sort of um, moment that, you know, um, we, you know, why now? Why all of a sudden are companies all of a sudden, you know, um, making all of these changes? Um, for, for many, it might have been a wake-up call and they needed to do something because they needed to. A lot of companies um, can no longer, you know, uh, function or operate in the same way like they did in the 20th century. Which I think is a really important point again, you know, which is, you know, you've got to, you've got to run an organization reflected, reflecting the 21st century, not the 20th century. So you mentioned earlier that companies have the information, they just have to dig deep. Um, companies that are fortunate to have good alliances, like with HCODE, because mm -hmm. HCODE tracks sentiment, they have some really good research tools, they have great panels to help uh, their clients understand Hispanic market. But what about companies that don't have that and don't have multicultural people in their employ to know where to look? Where, where does a company like that start? Do they have to start with staffing or do they have to start with where? Where would they go besides you and me? You know, um, staffing is always a, you know, I mean, that's, a, you know, people make the difference. It's, it's not the data, it's people who pull the data. It's not the strategies, it's the people who, who create the strategies. So having the right team is, is everything. I mean, that's what the, the incoming CEO does, right? They, they, you know, he or she comes in and says, hey, we've got to put together an excellent executive team. And from there, you start building the organization. I believe the people make a difference, period. Um, that, that to me is, the, is, is the, um, the foundation to, you know, any company and you run agencies yourself, um, having the right people drives results, right? Um, you know, here, so here's the flip side of that. We know the majority of executive leadership, including CEOs, are not multicultural. So what do you do? Do you then uh, infuse more diversity in, in, the, in that uh, level of the organization? For sure. Um, but I also want to be able to take their brain and put a lot of color in it. You know, so I, I, need to, I need to sort of take a two-pronged approach. I need to diversify the executive leadership so that we can think um, differently. But at the same time, those that are, that are there um, are thinking um, like a 21st century marketer. How do, what does your book give as kind of key strategies that a marketer should follow? You know, what are the top two or three takeaways that I would get after I read your book? And I can hardly wait to read it, by the way, as soon as it's published. Thanks. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be published by the end of the month, on the 27th. Um, and so little, a little tease for that. Um, you, you know, the, to me, the, the book really is about following the customer. This is really about not changing marketing, per se, but changing the way we practice marketing to reflect a 21st century multicultural America. Fundamentally, you know, I'm saying two things here. We need to elevate the multicultural consumer into the new mainstream because that is your, ma your mainstream customer. It is, they, they should no longer be siloed. I don't understand how companies continue to silo their ethnic agencies, uh, ethnic efforts. It, is no long, it no longer makes sense to talk about the mainstream and then, oh, and then what do we do here? All of these vertical silos are fine um, for in-language efforts, 
but the new mainstream is driven by Latinos, African-Americans, Asians, whites, everybody. And so it's not white and then you've got your multicultural effort. That's a model that's so outdated, I can't even tell you. So we need to really re, re, redefine or think about marketing differently. And so the insights, Roberto, as you know, insights are driven. So for me, what I'm proposing is that the insights or the strategies in multicultural, in multicultural America mainstream is driven by these consumers, right? It's not white-led, it's multiculturally-led. This is not a political conversation. This is a demographic-driven conversation. The silo has to right size. So we no longer define um, the Hispanic marketing effort by how much you invest in Spanish language television or in language whatever, because you've got, you know, 50% of Los Angeles is Latino. How can you tell me that the multicultural effort is all Spanish language when half of Los Angeles and a good percentage of LA and what about Miami and Texas, you know, you go down the list and you're realizing that a lot of this mainstream, uh, these mainstream cities are driven by Latinos, Blacks, and other multicultural consumers. So I'm, I may be saying the, the obvious, but what we say and what we do are two different things still. And, and, and the, the fact is that we just need to make that shift. So who has made that shift? What companies can you think of that are doing the right thing? And what is the key thing that they're doing that's making the difference? You know, I mentioned two of them. I mean, I, th I think Clorox, I've worked on their business, you know, quite a while. And um, I know what's in their heart and what's in their mind. They've got a process. You know, companies are known for their process. Um, and, and, the, and the tighter their process is, the more codified it is, the more research and data and insights driven it is, um, the more holistic it is. Um, you know, the better, the better the organization. It takes time, it takes money, it takes people, it takes effort. It takes failure to win in this, in this, in this game. You've got to fail, you got to like figure, you, you know, that didn't work, so you got to do something that does work. And these companies that have been doing it for a long time probably have failed more times than they've won. Um, so Clorox has won, they're, they're lucky that they're in a really good category today. Um, you know, Procter & Gamble has always moved you know, they'll say something today, something tomorrow. They, they're always adapting to and they're always reinventing, um, you know, the business and themselves. Um, companies that are, again, building these core competencies, thinking that this is the one and only way are going to find themselves, um, you, know, you know, behind or you know, limited in their ability to adapt to, a, to what's going on in the competitive side. What about the people who are attending the conference today? What you know, these are people who work at different companies, who work at agencies. What advice would you give them in order to move the initiative forward and you know, really have a major reset in how we market to the U.S.? Look, if, if, if I had a magic wand, I would say everyone is responsible for multicultural, the multicultural consumer. Everyone has to know this target. Um, and so that, that is, it's no longer a siloed conversation. Um, and then secondly, everyone has to be an, a, a, a subject domain specialist. So being an expert in this consumer, it doesn't cut it. That's, that's great. But you gotta, you have to be a, a data, a data scientist. You've got to be a data analyst. You've got to be a media strategist. You've got to be a 
a researcher with a consumer insights expertise. You've got you've to have this holistic view and you've got to have a subject domain expertise that brings your value to the table. Like the H-Code, H-Code has great tools. They've got significant expertise, but they can talk about a lot of different things through their toolkit. Um, and so that is, it's the one-two combination. It's having that depth um, that I think um, I would want to have across all agencies. So the agencies in, the general, in, in Los Angeles who are in the general market, um, you know, you're doing, they know full well that the mainstream here is multicultural. And so I don't know if we, if we even know, even, even if, I don't even know that we have a distinction in Los Angeles because of that. I think ultimately, you know, language, it, the, the jargon we use to describe marketing or mainstream marketing will sort of automatically assume it's multicultural because it's, there's no other way to look at it. We're, we're going through an inflection point. And I think that it's always hard when th- there's a changing of a guard um, and, and things have to kind of, you know, move into the, the future. Future is here. Um, and, 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 um, and we've got to do something about it quickly. Yeah, you make a good point. You know, it's when you think that you mentioned companies like Procter and Gamble and Clorox, and certainly you could add to that list Walmart and Wells Fargo Bank, sure. where they put all their agencies in the room together and they look for the best ideas and they listen to all sides and and then make their decisions. But there's also you know regional players that have done a lot of the right things. You know, one comes to mind: Banner Healthcare out of Phoenix. Mm-hmm. It's a hospital chain over the Southwest. And the first thing they did was they hired a Hispanic board member who had a marketing background. That was a great start. And he started opening their eyes to a lot of things, including the importance of social media to drive uh, engagement and drive a, a lot of KPIs. And that's what they did. They hired an agency. They started marketing to Hispanics. Uh, they started doing broadcast as well as social and digital. Yeah. You don't have to be a huge company and have tons of resources to do this. You know, what would you say about something like that for regional companies, smaller companies? I, I think being a regional company is, is easier, uh, makes it easier to adapt to some of these ideas in the book because, you know, you, you've got um, a smaller territory, smaller footprint, um, you don't have to think think like across 50 states or thinking across, um, you know, three states or two states or six cities. So um, it, it, it actually is simpler um, and, and you may not need a number of partners. You, you may need, you know, an agency that, um, that understands this, this, this demography, the category and the customer. Um, so there's, so there's definitely, definitely, um, room for different players at different levels. Um, it gets simpler, the smaller, the geography, cause it's less complicated, I think. And you don't need as many, um, different specialized agencies and partners from that standpoint, but the, the principles are the same. The practices, um, the, the practice of marketing again has to change with, um, the, the different landscape, but the principles are the same, whether you're a big company or a small company, medium or mid-sized company. You know, there was a time when we had digital agencies and traditional broadcast agencies. 
And then over time, that there was it just there was no difference. You you had to be able to do everything. You couldn't just be siloed by media channel. Uh, in the case of segment marketing, yeah, what do you you know? It looks like we're starting to get to that point where you can't you can't as you say in your book, you can't you know work in silos. So, what is marketing going to look like two three years out from now? You know, the, the market moves slow. <laughs> you know? in, our, in our minds, you know, we think that things are going to happen in a year or two, and, and it's really five to eight years. Um, you know, it's all about and market forces drive um, change. I think you, your point is really, really um, you know, well taken here. I remember, too, when everybody had to go digital or develop digital capabilities. Um, every, you know, it had to be digital first, um, as some agencies were, were saying. Um, and everybody had to jump into the, the digital game because that was that was the new world order. Um, to your point, you know, um, multicultural marketing is mainstream marketing, right? I mean, you know, you don't have to, you know, and and, and to align to that is is not um, is easy in terms of understanding it, but to execute and to develop capabilities. Um, is is a different thing. I mean, you're going to have to. It's an organizational transformation. You're going to have to change who you have, how you operate, your core competencies, and this is and this is pretty disruptive stuff. Um, so if you're doing well today, um, and you're built, you know, billing ten, twenty million dollars in revenue a year, I mean, do you have a problem? <laughs> yeah, I mean, many people would say no. Um, but maybe you need to be, um, what's the word? A little bit more, um, a little bit more, um, you know, uh, paranoid, you know, know, it's only the paranoid survive, right? So maybe you have to think about, you know, what's, what you don't know and and what's to come because tomorrow, uh, you might have a big merge and, and it just, just changes the landscape completely. Um, and uh, and so it's better to be a little bit more proactive than than what I think our company the companies are doing now. Yeah, you mentioned execution. There's you know one of the companies that I'm a big fan of is Wells Fargo Bank because they've done a lot of things right. And one of the you know just to give an idea to some of the people who are listening, and one one way to do it is that when they're developing a, a marketing plan for a product, they look at where the business is coming from and where the potential business is. And they identify the key segments that would be involved. So let's say you have a thing which, which is general market plus Hispanic plus African-American plus Asian. At the strategic point, before they even start executing, they're doing a strategy that includes all segments. So they have all the planners in the room and they come up with a strategy that works across segments that has things in common but also for each segment has cultural nuances that must be reflected. Yeah. And then from there, they go into executing campaigns and channel strategies, but they always start with where's the volume coming from and where's the potential and who has to be at the table. And I think that's something that a lot of marketers can learn from in terms of, of doing that versus doing general market and then saying, now, how do we adapt this to African-American or Hispanic? Right. By the way, you've made that segment strategically unimportant because you didn't start with, is this the right segment to be in? 
Well, you know, multicultural marketing, so that, I'm going to use that term to address Latino marketing, Asian marketing, African-American marketing, so it's just across the board. I mean, it, it largely started as a communication strategy. I mean, can you adapt it? Can you translate this? Does this work? Uh, and it was always, again, you know, the assumption is Joe Market is white, and, and we have to have these segments, uh, segmentation efforts or segmented um, work. Um, so that's old men, that's a mental model that's outdated. And we now have to move into an era where, uh, you know, consumer insights drive, um, you know, results. Um, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like, again, it makes a lot of sense for all companies, not just Wells Fargo, but to think about, you know, how to drive growth, who's driving the growth, where is the growth coming from? Um, and more and more, you're going to realize that you need, um, you know, to target Latinos in English, African-Americans, Asians, everyone in Los Angeles and New York and Chicago and these cities, um, because those are your core customers. And so instead of looking at the superficiality of these consumers, you're now looking at consumer insights and you're saying, okay, um, if they are, um, if they are. Bank of America existing clients, how do I switch them? So that is a very different approach, which I think is the approach. That is a strategic uh, objective, you know, switching or increasing um, frequency. And so now you're talking about a user. It's not a demographic discussion. I don't really care about 18%, 1.5 trillion. Those really big lofty numbers are fine. But when you're driving consumer insights, you're now talking about a very granular, very specific target with specific insights as it relates to the brand and those consumers. So that is the homework. That is the holy grail of marketing. If you can't get there, you're, you know, you're building marketing programs that are more tactical than strategic. And I'm, I'm advocating for us to get and for us, for all brands, to work really deep and really hard to understand how all of these consumers are interacting with your brand to drive growth. Yeah. The, the opposite of granular insights into each of these opportunity segments mm -hmm. is a concept that's been going around for six years called total market. Mm -hmm. And the total market essentially is, you know, that you have one universal idea that usually is born in the general market and you want to apply that to everybody with a mistaken belief that you have to talk to everybody in one voice right. as opposed to talk to them in in a voice that engages with them as consumers so um i'd like to put the final nail in the coffin of the whole concept of total market because it's it's a it's misuse of of marketing because it makes everything one size fits all and yeah. i I've heard you address total market before. Uh, what are your thoughts about it? Well, you know, if you were to ask the customer, they would know what total market is, right? So this is not a consumer-driven conversation. This is a, a business discussion. Um, to me, if, if we are going to follow the customer, and if we are going to continue to use total market as a term, total market can only survive if it's led by multicultural consumers. So total market with a multicultural focus is the only way that marketing is going to be um, viable in the future. So I think total market as a term is, is still loosely defined and it's kind of gray and I'd rather not go there. 
Um, but the idea that, you know, again, that the core strategy comes out of the, the general market, the, the non-Hispanic or not, you know, the white consumer, and then it gets adapted uh, in a synergistic way with one voice and one look and so, and so forth. You know, I, 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 again, that's, that's a, you know, I can't support that. I don't think that there's um, evidence that aligns to that um, from, a, from a demographic and from a strategic perspective. Total market with a multicultural focus is, to me, um, the de facto marketing approach in the 21st century. Jake, do you have any last words before I turn it over back to Matt for the Q&A? Um, we're starting to get some questions on, in the chat box, which I'm sure everybody wants to get to. So get your, you know, the, the book launches on the 27th of the month. Uh, it'll be on Amazon. It made it very affordable. I have an ebook and a, and a soft cover, cover, uh, cover option. Um, great um, book for the company, for yourself, for your, for your friends and family. Great holiday gift, you know. So uh, enjoy it. Please let me know what you think. I'm more interested in understanding, um, you know, if it's helpful and, and we can continue the conversation. Thanks. Hey, Jake, I've really enjoyed talking with you. Matt, back over to you. Sure, I appreciate you. Guys, that was awesome. Thank you both. Um, so we're getting a couple questions here. I'm just going to read these off and uh, let's dive into them. So the first one here is, what is the biggest portion of the multicultural segment? And what should marketers do to get started in marketing to multicultural, multicultural segments? Um, so, okay. So I guess that question, it goes to me, you know, to me, it, it, it all, it all is, everything is based on research and understanding your customer. So, you know, building the house from the bottom up is the only way to build a house. And the foundation is research and consumer insights. Um, there is no other way. Insights work is hard. Uh, it's timely, it's time consuming, it's expensive. Um, but it's, it, but you, if you're not there, um, you're unfortunately um, doing marketing in the 20th century, in the 21st century. So you've got to make that shift. You've got to, you've, you've got to put in the work to, um, to get the returns. Well, let me, let me, since so H codes in the business of obviously working with brands and doing this. So I, I come into a lot of the things that are preventing brands from doing this. Right. And one of the things that we see a lot is, Back to the insights and the measurement, there are very few companies for brand lift, insights, intent, and things that actually have a very large panel of actual representation of multicultural on their panels. And right. in so many cases, when you're looking at, well, how did the Hispanic segment do versus the general market segment, they don't perform as well per these poorly you know, labeled or poorly sort of identified panels that are actually measuring them. So yep. we have found that the measure, it's, it's not that things aren't performing, the flaws actually in the measurement. So I think that's part of what we're seeing as well. And that makes it hard to figure things out. So I'll answer the question as well as say call H code, because we have all those resources and we pull them together. So we're a good place to start to try to figure those things out. And that's why we put all those assets together that I mentioned earlier around research and around studio it was all around putting these things together to try to learn where is the right segment what is the right message and where to get started and that's what we have found is the best place to start is work with these various resources together but totally agree i mean it's they just just to get started is is the starting point Man, um, 
I was just going to add that that most brands and most you know brand managers are, are well aware of of methodology and the importance of having a a rigorous methodology. Many times their hands are sort of tied because their partners don't have um, representative samples, mm-hmm. a, a nationally representative sample across Latino because they don't know how important it is to have representation across country of origin or have representation across nativity or have representation of, you know, bioculturation level, you know, things like that. And so this is where the expertise of these individuals come into play. Um, the same thing goes into, you know, same com- segmented conversation goes, goes into, you know, goes applies for the Asian population. Um, and so, you know, my, my point, my, my uh, big beef here is that, you know, you know, don't produce numbers that are not reliable because they're, because they're worth nothing. And at the end of the day, you're just going to go, is it, attribu- is, is it the attribution to the work or is it attribution to the methodology? Um, and so before you can even blame the work, you've got to blame the methodology. And then at that point, you're like, why even measure it? That was a really good question. And I just want to add one little wrinkle to the conversation. I agree with everything you both said. And that is, which is the largest segment could, could vary dramatically depending on what your product category is, your product, your geography. So you can't assume that it's going to be Hispanic or Black or Asian. You can't even assume it's going to be Spanish-speaking Hispanic or English or bilingual Hispanic. That's why you need those data sources to identify where that volume is coming from. Yeah, I completely agree because we, it was before my time, but when HCODE started, it started as a media platform and we saw that we needed those insights to, to be better at finding the right assets to make that media perform. So that's why those other components were then added on to really drive those results that we knew we needed to see. All right, so let's jump into another question here. The, the next question was the NBA finals ratings are down significantly after their Black Lives Matter support and as is the NFL and other major sports. This suggests support that Black Lives Matter will lead to revenue declines. What data do you have showing the support for Black Lives Matters leads to revenue growth for marketers? You guys have any examples? Um, you know, I, I would call that to be a misattribution because I don't know that the ratings, um, that the rating declines are directly tied to, you know, BLM. I don't, I don't agree with that. Um, it could be a lot. I mean, I don't really feel like I, I, I'm an avid sports fan. Um, I'm so, I'm such an avid basketball fan that I don't even care if there was three people watching, uh, in the stadium. I think it has to do with the lived experience, the fans and and all of this other stuff too. So, um, I, I don't, I don't agree with the premise of the question purely because I don't believe it. Um, but over time, um, we will see what the NBA does. I don't think that they're going to, um, be so vocal on, um, some of these issues next year. Um, I think that's some, you know, a few things that I've read so far, but, um, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. I, I would add to that. We have, we have some experience on, with the Black Lives Matter. We have a, a brand sort of a sub brand within age code that, that targets there, but we, we definitely saw what happened with audiences that we were targeting around COVID and and some of those populations that were disproportionately affected by COVID and the pandemic. And what we saw in our data was an amazingly unique opportunity. And I think this speaks to the power of the multicultural audiences together, but there was something in the data that showed the power of brand loyalty 
-hmm. and sort of the lifetime value of winning some of these customers over. So when you think about the size of some of the multicultural families that are just theoretically larger, there's more buying power within a household in many cases. And so if you can build brand loyalties at a household level, the impact for your brand over the long term can be pretty significant. And so we saw that time and time again, that there was this unique opportunity. So I think there's probably something similar with Black Lives Matter, where if you can truly provide a value and your brand can be a service to a consumer at that point in time, you have an opportunity to build their loyalty over a much longer period of time than you otherwise would have given the relevance to these two things that are going on somewhat simultaneously. All right. Let's jump into the other one here. Uh, the next question is, how do we engage the multicultural consumer without relying on stereotypes? What are questions we should ask ourselves to ensure we are authentically telling the story of a culture that is not our own? It's a great question. I mean, I think that, that, that question can be answered really simply, which is don't, you know, uh, rely on, on research and rely on insights. I mean, that is the, only, that is the starting point and the end point. You know, and many times that research might contradict your, your, your perceptions, your gut tells you, um, but if the customer's telling you, um, you know, this is, you know, this is the way the consumer's using this product, um, and it changes the way that um, you, you initially thought about them, that's, that's the only way. Stereotypes to me are, um, you know, Again, it's like building idea, you know, you're building a house from the top down or from the bottom up. And so the idea of, of building something with stereotypes to me is like building the house from the top up, uh, top down, right? It's like, okay, this is how I think we're going to build it versus what's the foundation upon which these ideas are going to be manifested for the, on the strategy. So it's different approaches. And I think the research, the research is, you know, is, is the end all. Roberto, what do you think? I think that is such a great question. Um, I think the big mistakes people make is assuming that they understand segments. So if you're going to do, if you're going to market to the broad new American mainstream, which includes multicultural, just make sure that you have people who understand those cultures on your team. And if you don't have them in-house, go to HCode, go to an agency, go someplace else where you can get that. Just make sure that you wouldn't, you wouldn't build a house without a qualified carpenter using uh, Dr. Jake's metaphor. So the same thing applies to a campaign. Just make sure you're, you have the right people on board to do it right. I think it also, you know, we're here in Los Angeles, so it brings up the question of thinking back to Hollywood specifically. And I think the importance of continuing to push Hollywood to fairly represent the cultures on television and screen because I think that's when you talk about these stereotypes, I think that's honestly where they're permeated, right? It's really Hollywood that in many cases on screen and on television, that's permeating some of those stereotypes. So I think both in representation on screen, but also in curbing those stereotypes and having a much more accurate representation of the cultures and of these people and of the audiences that they're representing that's a big part. And I think this market specifically has a lot of responsibility to bear on that, just given the ties to Hollywood specifically. So, so let me just make a distinction here. I mean, the conversation around Hollywood is a really interesting one and, and, and it makes a lot of sense given that one, we're in Los Angeles and two, we're, we're impacting perception through, through storytelling. But the, 
the role of, you know, a Latino or uh, a black male or a black female in Hollywood, in, in movies or in uh, short films, I think is a real thing. It's a real thing that we have to address. In marketing, though, to me, this, you know, that is, that's not the problem. The problem that I see is that we're not driving strategy with insights that, that have an effect on, on sales. And that, that, to me, is a different process. It's a bottom-up approach. And so, you know, what we do in terms of the storytelling, that's, to me, that's really easy because that always goes back to the target audience. And it's not about, you know, um, you know who the target is determines who you're casting, right? And, 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 and the storyline determines how they use the brand and, how, and what the objective is. So to me, it's really more science than art. Yeah, I, that makes perfect sense. Um, one of the next questions here, um, panels are 20th century. There are much better ways to obtain data about 300 million consumers via mobile data tied to CTV households, et cetera. So I guess that's more of a comment, um, but a very valid one. So what are your guys thoughts on how do we collect all of that data? I mean, I know I can say that the challenge with that data is it doesn't necessarily, uh, tell you everything you need to do from a culturalization of someone. So there's a lot more to it in terms of when you're looking at multicultural audiences, but it, it's definitely a valid point. There's a lot of data there. So what do you guys think? I mean, the path to purchase uh, is extremely reliable if you're using panel data. I mean, you follow the customer and, they, and, and that data tells you, you know, where they went, what they did and, and all of that. There's a lot of data um, that you can capture um, th through, um, through uh, behavioral data. But that behavioral data, sometimes you don't know who that person is uh, and, and what those uh, what those psychographic variables are. So again, this is not one or the other, this is a combination of, of, of data and you've got to use both um, to really make a holistic uh, determination on, on who that consumer is. Um, that's, uh, I would, so, you know, um, invest wisely, but, but don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, we have, we have a very large panel that we use at HCODE, and I, I believe it's one of the largest ones in the U.S. in terms of an Hispanic uh, panel. But the advantage to us over all the data that we have across all the connection points that we see across the 32 million uniques there is that panel actually allows us to do that testing that you're talking about. So when you're actually trying to test creative and a cultural message and understand does it have the same impact in Miami as it does in Los Angeles, and is there possibly a cultural difference in just those two markets alone? That's something that our panel can help us do by understanding the responses to very specific questions in market and at a, at a level that's far more detailed than we're able to get from all the viewing data that we see across our CTV and OTT. So we have both, but we actually find the panel data to still be incredibly valuable to drive insights around the strategies and the, and the messaging that we ultimately create for our campaigns. And I would, and I would just, um, just to defend panel, because I think behavioral data is, is definitely something very new and very exciting and, and, and very, very good. Um, the panel data, though, I think we, uh, we've, under, we've underutilized it in testing insights. I think the opportunity is, is to, before you even launch, before you even present anything to a client, we have the opportunity to present tested insights. And then the ideas are just, like window dressing, the ideas are, are, are you know, they can t be tested as well. But the test insights that drive an, an idea to drive a business, you can even measure 
the relationship between an insight and a behavior, right? So there's a lot of good stuff that can be done through a panel that you can't do through behavioral data and vice versa. That was actually a really interesting conversation. Um, I learned a lot, uh, but thank you for sharing your expertise and insights. Thank you everyone in attendance. One last reminder is to visit our website at thinkalate.org to sign up for our newsletter, register for events, stay up to date on upcoming events and programming, as well as our industry news. We'll be sending a survey out later today, and we really rely on your feedback. So take care, everybody. Stay safe. Again, thank you, HCODE, for presenting this webinar. And thank you to Dr. Jake and Roberto for being here as well. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Jasmine. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this episode. To find out more about our upcoming webinars and events, please go to thinkla.org. You'll also find information on membership and how we continue our mission of serving the Los Angeles advertising, marketing, and media community. Take care.